0: Thank you very much uh, for that wonderful uh leading and even singing. We praise the Lord, really, that we have this opportunity to sing uh his praises. If you've got your Bibles with you, please turn to uh the gospel according to Luke chapter 24. We will be Looking at this text under the sermon uh, Title he is alive He is alive Luke chapter 24 verse one to six He is alive He is alive two dazzling men in dazzling apparel announced the greatest news grieving people would have to hear the greatest news that the world has ever heard or the, or the greatest news that has been ever told i want you to imagine that you have a patient in hospital and the and the doctors have virtually said about the patient that this patient is dead uh, maybe they've been in a vegetable state for uh, months and you're preparing for the worst case scenario. And the next day you come to just pay what is uh, left of the hospital bill or all the necessary fees and you are ready to visit those who craft coffins. And this, of course, is a vague picture, but I want just to think of that. Because here the people had not waited till tomorrow. They were going to the tomb. But Jesus was not merely in a vegetative state, he was dead. He died. Gone, gone, gone. Luke chapter 24, verse 1 to 6. Let me read from the English Standard Version. And then I'll pray. That the Lord may bless our two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Let me pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, the greatest news ever told to grieving people The greatest news ever told to unsuspecting, unbelieving, faint-hearted, weary people. And this is the great news that will be told today here. That he is alive. He has risen. He is at the right hand of the Father on the throne of grace. And he will return just as he left. And we ask, oh God, that your spirit may be with us in such a powerful way. Give us a great measure of your blessing. May this be a special time of learning from your word. Convict us of sin, O oh God. And O oh God, help us to avoid distractions. May we forget about our worldly occupations for just this instant. May we marvel and truly be taken to heaven as it were and and, and right on the throne of grace and have a sneak peek into what happened in history and look forward to what will happen when you return. Keep me from error. Keep my ears attentive in Jesus name, amen. Now, Before we even get anywhere, I want us to have a small background of the gospel account of Luke. Because each and every gospel writer has a perspective. Luke, the physician, was writing this gospel account to someone by the name of Theophilus. And Luke, unlike the other gospel writers... Actually, states the reason for his letter right at the beginning of Luke. Right, right at the beginning of, of his letter. Listen to what he says from verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it, is, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught now Theophilus it is not known who he really was but he was Luke's patron and helped him to publish Luke and Acts In fact Luke is the only gospel account that has a sequel If you like movies you know that movies have got a sequel or series or whatever sequel so x is actually the sequel of luke and luke ends where x starts if you read the gospel accounts the gospel account of acts uh, of luke and then go on to Acts, you see that very thing and luke was a physician he has a, a certain way of on anatomy when you read the, the gospel according to Luke, and focusing on certain details that even the other gospel writers do not focus on. And the structure of Luke's gospel begins in, in chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, and followed by the birth and the birth of John the Baptist, and Jesus. And he goes on to cover John's ministry, the preparation of the ministry to cha- uh, chapter 3 uh, to chapter 4. He then gives an account of Jesus' Gal- uh, 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 ministry in, in Galilee, which is chapter 4 to chapter 9, verse 50, and his journey to Jerusalem. So we see that here we are actually in the resurrection and the ascension portion of the Gospel according to Luke. This was after Jesus had been crucified, of course. It was after Jesus had been buried. Now he rises and after that you see them on the road to Emmaus and also the Ascension, etc. So this is the end of the Gospel according to Luke. But I want us to see in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, three things uh, in in this short text. First of all, I want us to see the disbelief that Christ would rise. That is seen in verse 1. I'll I'll really expound on that uh, as we go along. Uh, And second of all, I want us to see that they were dismayed in what they found the people verse 2 to 4 and then the last one is the declaration of the good news from verse 5 to 6 verse 1 of chapter 24 but on the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared Before we even get into the actual disbelief, which I highlighted, I want us to note that Christ died on a Friday evening. As J. C. Wright comments, his body was safe in the tomb, and on the Sunday morning, his body was gone. So the first day of the week in the Jewish system started actually on Saturday evening. It did not start on the actual Sunday, but it started on the Saturday evening. So, in other words, these women had begun to prepare the spices Saturday evening. And of course, they could not, in Jewish custom, you could not go to the tomb or to the tombs in the evening. So we see these women who uh, mark chapter 16 Uh, verse 1 and 2 highlights that were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. But there is another dimension to this narrative because it seems as if there was a second group of women that visited the tomb. In accordance with Luke, we see in verse 10, if you read there, chapter 24, it says, now it was Mary Magdalene, and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, in 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 uh, Matthew uh, chapter twenty-eight verse one, he also he also mentions uh, these women, Mary Magdalene. But according to many commentators, there were there was there was a second group of women, and this is this is the second group, probably which had followed the first group. So if you follow the gospel accounts, it seems as if there was a first group of women that went and found Jesus not there, etc., etc. Then a second group of women went who were also wanting to uh, anoint our Lord's bo- body with spices. Nonetheless, don't get caught up too much in that detail. The point is this: that we are to conclude that there were more women than than. than than what we see here, that actually went to witness the resurrection of Christ. Please note that these were actually women. It's interesting, uh, you know, when you think about it, many people would say, well, you know, uh, men, um,
1: all about this man, men
0: thing, you know, men are the, are the, are the leaders of society, men are, are this, but women were actually the witnesses of the resurrection of Christ. And then they went on to tell the disciples who were still as well confused and unbelieving. It's interesting. just an interesting note. But we see that all four Gospels specify that the first day of the week was the day of the resurrection. The Sunday. And this is the day that became the day of Christianity. This is the Lord's day, the Christian Sabbath. The Sabbath was no longer on a Saturday. If you want to argue with seven day Adventists, go and tell them that. That the resurrection did not happen on a Saturday. It happened on a Sunday. That's why we worship on a Sunday. And the Christian Sabbath is now on a Sunday. The apostles worship on the first day of the week. They no longer worshipped on a Saturday. And we see also that all four Gospels mention the removal of the stone. So all four Gospels, if you read them, they mention the first day of the week that this is when they went to anoint Jesus uh, with spices, the body of Jesus spices. But we see that Luke also as I said earlier on, Luke also focuses specifically on the body. That in verse 3 we see uh, Luke says Jesus was God. The body of Jesus was God. The other gospel writers do omit that. They say you are simply not there. But Luke goes on to focus on this detail. But having said that, I want us to focus on the disbelief that prevailed really. And the disbelief that prevails now. If these people who had heard Jesus saying that the Son of Man must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribe and be killed on the third day, uh, sorry, be killed and be raised on the third day, why would they go to the tomb? with spices. Why were these women going to the tomb if they knew or if they believed that Jesus in fact would would raise himself up? Because this was the third day, right? If you turn with me to Luke chapter 9, verse 22, Jesus had reinforced this uh, truth over and over again. So these people, it's not like they were ignorant or they did not know. They were told. Listen to uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 22. I'll read from verse 29. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised was prophesied. This was foretold. It's the same thing with Luke chapter 18 verse 33. He says the exact same thing. Quickly turn to Luke chapter 18 verse 33. Listen to what the word of God says. And after flogging him they will kill him and on the third day he will rise. So having known having known all of this, still the women woke up to go and anoint Jesus' body. It is something that had they had heard before, but even in their nobility and zeal, they overlooked the fact that the Messiah had previously said he would he would be raised. And you can, be, you can imagine these women, they were grief-stricken. They probably had not rested well from mourning the Messiah. Now, when it comes to marinating the body, you might ask yourself, why were they wanting to spice Jesus' body? And the main reason a dead body was anointed with spices was to control the smell of decomposition. So Jews did not practice embalming per se, but they used spices to sort of control and minimize unpleasant. It's funny. You know, when you think about this, you think, so these people actually did not really grasp what Jesus was saying. Because when they were going to the tomb, they were saying, no, no, we're going to anoint, anoint our Lord. We're going to anoint him with spices. We're going to anoint his body. We're, we're going to take care of our Lord. He was with us when we were living together. And he would go and preach the gospel. Now he's dead and gone. He's not returning. The disbelief. And sometimes friends, even as Christians, even in our zeal, even if because these people were noble, it's not bad what they were, what they wanted to do. But what is being highlighted is that they they really were in disbelief. Of course, they, in their nobility and zeal and their good intention, they wanted to anoint the body of Christ. But they overlooked the fact that Christ said He would raise Himself. From the dead. So sometimes as Christians, even in our zeal and our good intention, our disbelief can be exposed. We mustn't look at it only as negative or even as foolish. Friends, this is us. This is exactly us. When Christ says you will resurrect, we'll be like, ah, let's go and anoint his body. When Christ says, I will raise people from the dead through the preaching of God's word, we say, ah, uh, let me just sleep at home, no evangelism, I'm just tired. When God says, He will save people from the preaching of God's word, He will resurrect dead souls. We say, ah, your word is not enough. Let's now stick to science. When children are brought to the Lord to, to, to church, we say, "Oh, they don't understand." Let's kick them out. Take them to Sunday school. Yes, this is what this is exactly what was happening. It was noble, but they overlooked. Here are the applications. Number one, the resurrection itself is one of the fundamentals of the Christian faith. And if you don't believe in the physical resurrection, I'm not saying the women did not believe in the physical resurrection. No, no, they believed after they saw. Then you are not a Christian. How then can you believe that Christ will raise you from the dead on the last day? If you don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, how will you believe that Christ will return and one day you will be raised? This is not fiction. It's true. We will rise. We will be raised. Those in Christ will be raised. Even non believers will be raised for judgment. That's what the Bible says. Second application. As we look at these women, we also learn something about God himself. That God shows grace to us even when we are in disbelief of his promises. His love, his care, his nurture. God does not treat us the way we deserve because if he treated us the way we we deserve to be treated, we probably wouldn't be here. And the last application I have from this point is that sometimes we don't evangelize. Because, in fact, we may believe that God cannot save people from their sin. In other words, we believe that God cannot resurrect sinners from spiritual death to life. We, we have been told that he can. But we're just like, mm. Such was the disbelief of the women, the zealous women. God bless them. But I want us to see, in the second point, that they were actually dismayed at what they found after their show of disbelief. Look at verse 2 to 4. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling dazzling apparel. What they found dismayed them. It caused them dis distress or concern, that the same Lord they were going to annoy, the body was not there. Perhaps they thought it was stolen. Perhaps they thought maybe the Roman guards went to sleep and the body was stolen. And if you remember, in all Gospel accounts, it's highlighted that the stone had been rolled away. They include this detail. Mark chapter 28, verse 2. Uh, sorry Matthew chapter 28 verse 2 Mark 16 3 to 4 and and John 20 verse 1 they were and whilst they were perplexed in dismay their temples may have been pounding their mouths were dry but there were two men who stood by them in dazzling apparel Luke speaks of the two men Rather than an angel, because Matthew says it was an angel, Mark says it was a young man, Luke says it was two men who stood in dazzling apparel. They had, they were probably gleaming, bright, blinding. This is what this is, this is, this happened, friends. We, we sometimes think of these, these things in movies and say, Yeah, okay, okay this happened, but this actually happened two thousand years ago to women they witnessed the resurrection of christ but they were dismayed they were perplexed they they were confused but you might ask the question pastor why what is the significance of these two men in dazzling apparel. First of all I want you to note that the glory and majesty of God, they reflected and represented God. They were actually angels. They were messengers of God. In other accounts like what uh, brother Tanaka had read, Jesus actually appeared to those women to the other group of women or whether, we don't know whether it's another group or it's the same group or, you know, it's the other entourage, but we know that Jesus appeared. But here in this account, we see that, no, 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 these women were actually in the company of angels. And these angels had dazzling apparel, which represents the glory of God, they are messengers of God. It was as if God himself descended upon those women and appeared and said here i am the great i am he is risen i want you to return quickly to matthew 28 verse 2. so we okay, can just see this this reality of the stone being rolled away matthew 28 verse 2 Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and saturn. So these were, on this account, this was something live that happened. They saw it happening. Uh, turn with me to uh, Mark 16. Verse 3 to 4, this is the word of God, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And goes on to say and entering the tomb they saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe and they were alarmed and he said to them do not be alarmed etc 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 now friends what does this mean to us about the resurrection of christ number one I would like to suggest to you, friends, that the miracle of the resurrection leaves us dismayed. In fact, it should leave us dismayed. Because there is no other event in history that sets apart, of course, the crucifixion of Christ, but that sets apart the Christian faith from any other religion, from every other religion, That Christ was resurrected. That is the greatest miracle. I was even thinking this morning when you hear these prosperity people that talk about Mercedes Benz, hey, you know, claim your blessing. Those are futile, it's useless, it's rubbish compared to the resurrection of Christ. And remember, even Christ himself actually foretold in a way of his resurrection by resurrecting Lazarus. In John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. You know, those who believe in me, the one who believes in me, though he may die, will live. And the one who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? In other words, by resurrecting himself, Christ proved that he was God. And and guess what, friends? This is important because if you die today, you are gone. You are gone. Unless God wants you to be resurrected, he can if he wants. But if you die today, you are gone. Let me give you an example. What happened to to Muhammad? Dead. The Muslims have no claim. They can say all they want. They can say, we're a religion of peace. Allah, God and Allah are one. Okay, what about you say about Muhammad? Where is he? He's dead. What about ancestors in Africa? Oh, what, what people go to the Nangas. The Nangas die. Gone and to be forgotten. They never come back. Their ancestors are dead. Whatever ancestral spirits you say you believe, they are dead. What about all these cult leaders? They are dead. You go to the Jehovah's Witnesses, their leader is dead. The Sabbatists, 7th, dead Their leader is dead. The popes are dying, one after the other, falling. No one can trump the Lord Jesus Christ. No one can trump the resurrection. It's not something to be taken lightly. Ah oh, well. And if you do, if you're not dismayed by it, I, I, I would want to suggest maybe you haven't fully thought about it. You haven't sat down to meditate about the resurrection. That's why it doesn't mind blow you. Maybe you, even, maybe you read about the resurrection only at Easter. You know the Easter Christians and Christmas Christians. The resurrection must leave us dismayed. And that's what happened to these women. They would, and we'll see later on that they even went down to even bow in reverence to the angels. Number two, there are things in the Christian life that we should never lose sight of, and that is the resurrection. We sing, Because He lives, I can face tomorrow because Christ has been resurrected, I can face tomorrow. Salvation's door has been opened wide. If he remained in the grave as Paul later argued, it would mean that there is no Christianity, no resurrection, no ascension. No ascension, no church. No church. If there was no resurrection of Christ, we wouldn't be saying he's alive, wouldn't be even here. He raised himself from the dead. And he had been in the tomb. Gone. I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral and of someone you love dearly and you it's painful that this person is dead you are literally trembling and crying maybe it doesn't happen to you maybe it may happen to you one day There's this this temptation to want that person to be alive. But I can guarantee you that you can roll on the ground. You can cry until the the cows come home. You can take a hockey stick and want to beat that body to to life. That was not with the Lord Jesus Christ. And He showed us that He Himself is God. That you, all of us here one day, if the Lord tarries, will die. And our only hope is being resurrected by Him. Friends, may we never lose sight of the resurrection. Thirdly, I want us to see the declaration of good news. He is alive. Verse 5 to 6. And the, and as they were frightened and bowing their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. John Gill comments about the women bowing down. He says, and bowed down their faces to the earth through great fear and reverence of these heavenly spirits and, and as not being able to bear their luster of their countenances and garments. Friends, one application even at the beginning is that the resurrection cause us. These women, when they saw these angels, when they saw what had happened, perplexed as they were, they worshiped, they bowed down in submission. And so friends, even here at BRBC, may we be a people that worship the Lord, the triune God, for who he is, in fear and reverence. It does not matter what all these other people are doing. We who have the truth must worship in spirit and in truth at the good news. And they announce the good news in a question. They say, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why are you here? Why do you seek the Lord Jesus when he is living? Why are you in a tomb when he's living? Why are you still in sin when Christ is living? Why are you still in disbelief when Christ is is arisen? Why do you fail to believe? In the Lord Jesus when evidence is there that he is the Christ he is risen. he is the Messiah the Son of God the Savior why do you seek the living among the dead listen to this commented I said the angels words stressed the fact that Jesus was alive. It was inappropriate to look for a living person in a tomb. They then flatly declared that Jesus had risen from the dead and reminded the women of Jesus' prophecy that he would rise after three days. He is risen. He is alive. What is the implication or or even the, the implication of this? Number one, he conquered sin. The resurrection was such an amazing event that he conquered sin. He conquered the grip of sin, the grip of death. When Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, you had no savior. But he came, he died, and then he arose. He conquered sin. And so we no longer should live the way we used to following the course of this world, because God, by the power of His Spirit, will help us live above sin. Those who are Christians, I want to read to you Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I will read from verse 1. that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we be united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instructions for unrighteousness, But present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. He conquered sin. In a real way. And if you are not a Christian, you don't know what you are missing. A life of victory over sin. Not victory that they talk about. Of being favored by the government or favored by world by the world. But victory over sin. Isn't it amazing to think that once you were some of you were slaves to sexual sin. And you know it. I don't know, but you know it yourself. That like you walked to the according to the passions of this world. You were, some of you were thieves. You were liars. You were robbers. Murderers. Some of you broke people's homes. By mixing and mingling with people's spouses. But the resurrection says you can live above. You are no longer captured by that. Oh. When people come and entice you and say, Let's go. Friends who are captured by the world. You who are in Christ will say no. No. Go. In as much as I it pained me to lose some of my friends. And as much as I miss them sometimes, in Christ, I said, go. I'm ready to let you go. Some of even the women I was, I was involved with, and as much as that time was real in Christ because of his resurrection, I said, no. Secondly, he is risen, he is alive, he conquered death. He conquered sin, he conquered death. I covered this last week. We don't have to be afraid of death. Sometimes I believe we hold so much onto this life. friends. I believe that we don't think about death often and that's why we live the way we do. I believe that we are holding onto this world so much that we overlook the reality that death for a Christian is victory. Oh, how I want to be with my Savior. That's what we was supposed to be saying. Oh, how I want to walk the golden streets with the saints that have gone. But we say, oh, the world is so sweet. Sin is so sweet. He completed the work set before him. That's the third point. He did everything that was said you should do. And that's why... He came to his disciples at the Great Commission. He says, I have done the work. All authority has been given to me. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Lo and behold, I will be with you till the end of the age. He had completed his work. He had resurrected Oh, that the Lord may wake us up. Oh, that the Lord may raise us up from our slumber to see that this is a living faith. It's not dead. He will return. That's the fourth point. Jesus is returning. Some people, they wince when you say Jesus is coming. They're scared. Oh, he might destroy my little thing that I'm building. Perish the things of clay. And I'm not even attacking all those people who love the world, you know, post millennials. Oh, I want to dominate. No, no, no. I'm talking about to say God will come, the Lord Jesus Christ will return, and everything that we know will not matter. That's what I'm saying. And that's what I'm saying. Your wife will not matter. Do you know that? News flesh. News flesh that your wife will not matter. You will not be worried about going to buy peanuts, Brother Sunday. It won't matter. <laughs> oh, that the Lord will help us. The fifth point is that he is reigning. That's the application. Jesus is reigning now. At the right hand of the Father. <laughs> Saving souls from sin. Let me finish with uh, briefly with a, a, a reading from First Corinthians chapter 15. I'll just read it slowly. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 to 19. So much to say about the resurrection. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul is making a great statement here that shames and humbles the wise, or even the great people of this world so-called. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So he's saying, if you don't believe that you'll be resurrected, then Christ is still in the tomb. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. If Christ is not raised, if Christ remained in that tomb, the Apostle Paul says our preaching is in vain, we might as well pack up and go home. And our faith is in vain because we have just believed in vapor, in nothingness. But he says, no, 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 you have a firm foundation. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. In other words, he's saying that we are even lying about God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are raised. So he's saying that we make God a liar. If we deny the resurrection, make God a liar. If you deny the resurrection, you are not a Christian. That's That's what Paul is saying. If you deny that Christ was raised from the dead, you're not a Christian. You need to repent and believe. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Oh. And I always think to myself, if Christ has not saved me, where would I be? Where? If the God of heaven, creator of the universe, had not looked down upon me, silly, sinful, me with pity where would I be dead still in my sins then those who also have been fallen asleep in Christ have perished so Paul says if you don't believe in the resurrection the people that we say have gone to the Lord are not with the Lord if in Christ we have hope in this life only we are of all people most pitied. The Apostle Paul rips apart our this eschatology, this teaching that's this YOLO, this teaching that we live for here and now, enjoy now, your best life now. He's saying we are most of all people, we must be pitied if you're living for the world and you're not living for the next life and it's showing your life i must pity you and say shame on you you are lost because you have no hope in the next He is alive, friends. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Repent and believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ today. Believe in the Lord. Believe in the resurrection. Believe in the crucifixion. Believe in the suffering servant. Believe in the ruling king, the reigning king who will return. Believe that we will be resurrected believe that we have glorified bodies believe that we'll be with the lord forever believe that death has been conquered and now you don't have to be afraid to die if you're in christ but if you are not in christ be very afraid be very afraid of death a tremble as the song was saying think and tremble death is now upon the road Because when you die, it's all over. It's all over. Friends, this is not a hope that we have within ourselves. I've got no hope in myself. I don't trust myself. I don't trust in myself. I am not taking myself to heaven. Christ, Christ, the anchor, we have an anchor that keeps us. Amen.